Greetings, greetings, greetings. I am Jay Severin here to present to you on Monday, May 20, 2019, Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit number 39, Issue Weapons, Excelsior. Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit with Jay Severin. I don't know about you, but I never fail in being impressed by how quickly such a sloppy, great mass as is the news media can form up and change melodies overnight. Impressed in the way one is when witnessing an obese man crossing an icy street on a windy day. Such was the case in the 48 hours since we last greeted one another here. The Trump and Barr investigations still remain day-to-day hot, but very clearly abortion, immigration, and even Iran have achieved some critical mass. Not coincidentally, two of these, and perhaps all three, appear to be leading the current forefront, the spears of the Trump re-election campaign. It's like a, uh, a mass, uh, it's, it's like a, a mass consumer testing effort. They are floating abortion and immigration, hitting them hard, waiting to see the numbers, not the numbers that uh, most people will see on television or uh, read about in the uh, so-called news papers, but their internal polling which costs over the course of a year millions and millions of dollars. And um, well, it's like anything else. What kind of poll do you want? You want the Marist Channel 4 poll in New York? Marist being to colleges what Marist college polls are to polls. In any case, there's no question abortion, immigration, and so long as it threatens to blow Iran, have super salience among registered voters, uh, among what we call the registered voter community. Sidebar, real quick. I think it's necessary always to have a word about registered voters because the polls you will see are fairly complicated matters in assessing uh, as to their quality, as their predictive value. Otherwise, what are they for? And... I was remembered of this, I was, I was reminded of this the other day when I looked at a recent poll and I saw that different sections of it were different methods, different methodology. One talked to Americans. That, that, that is the lowest cut of anything you can imagine in the public opinion uh, industry. Americans. Like anybody over 18, that answers the phone, uh, that's it. They'll include them without any filtering of any kind. Then you have so-called voters. You'll see a lot of polls that say this was a poll of voters. There is a big difference between anyone over 18 who answers the phone and voters, people who claim to be voters, but still you are in the really low-budget area of, uh, of politics. The only voters that matter 
are voters that vote. In fact, obviously, they are not voters, though they may claim to be, though they may have voted in the past. Only people who vote count if you're trying to predict what issue is salient and what candidate is doing well or poorly. Thus, since we can't know who's going to vote, what pollsters these days can do with their methodologies and technologies, and I've worked closely with you know, the best in the world. I'm not bragging because it's them, not me. Uh, what they do is, is use technologies now available that can tell them who's voted in 10 of the last 11 elections in which they were eligible voters and then find them, you know, ID them. And obviously you target your message toward them. So the bottom line here is if you want to know, and if a poll is going to tell you anything, it must speak to registered voters and every poll you'll ever see uh, anywhere is going to have the methodology box on TV. They'll have it down where like footnotes go, you know, taken on between May 8th and May 11th and um, uh, of, of voters, you know, and yeah, but in, in newspapers, it has a little box. You may know it may be on what we call the jump page. It may not be on page one where the poll is, but when you go to the jump page, the continuation of the story, there is a box and that box will tell you who was, who was polled, how many of them, what were they? Americans, people who claimed to vote or registered voters. And is it, was it oversampled with Democrats or Republicans? What is the margin of error? All of these things you need to know, but the thing we need to know right now is registered voters. And by the way, you're already asking, well, why ever do a poll of any other than registered voters? I mean, if you go to a restaurant and it's got, you know, it's got really crappy grilled cheese, or it has filet, why would you ever have the crappy cheese sandwich? Uh, so why would you ever talk to anyone other than registered voters? You know the answer. Money, give me money. Money can't buy everything, it's true. But what it can't get, I can't use. Just give me money, what I want. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, great song, Lousy Pitch. Now, the reason that you don't see registered voters often is because they're harder to find. Money. Time, which means money. If you're going to talk to anybody who picks up the phone, that costs you X per interview. Not real expensive compared to the others. If you want people who claim to be voters, that's going to cost you more. If you want us to actually do the research and find people who are registered voters, who are registered on the polls that we can get, the computer tapes, we can see that, and that, that they're registered and that they vote. They're chronic voters. If you want that, that's going to cost a lot more. But it's also going to tell you a lot more. So, among the registered voter community... We might as well have, have one community. Everyone else has one. Abortion, immigration, and so long as it threatens to blow, Iran have super 
salience. These are the kind of issues that only a, a couple of which on your side wins elections. And in the case of super salient issues, such as what becomes the illegal invasion of criminalians, killing babies, and war, while it is surely useful to be on the right side, but what is even more decisive is not that you're for these things, it's that your opponent is against them, on the side against the voters. And if you can make that case, the combination of the two is brutally effective. I'm for what you're for, but even more saliently and motivational in American campaigns, my opponent is against you. The question this produces is, can a Democrat, especially one of these Democrats, possibly beat President Trump if they seem positioned to be for greatly increased illegal immigration, meaning crime, and for killing babies? Because that's the terms it'll be waged on from uh, Trump's side, and it ought to be. On the first charge, immigration, the genuine crisis is starting to penetrate the skulls of even the most dull-witted among us as they very gradually, as through a fog, recognize the clear and present danger of open borders. And, as has long been understood in politics, much to the discredit of those of us involved in doing it, it sometimes occurs that, look, the worse the better. That's never said in public. But, It is sometimes said in campaign headquarters, the worse the better. Something terrible happens, somebody benefits. Somebody always benefits, somebody's always hurt by any major event. You know, cynically, but well and truly, a problem associated with your opponent that has gotten worse is better for you. And by the time voters, what kind of voters? registered voters, by the time they're preparing to exercise the franchise, the illegal invasion will most likely have become greatly worse for an entirely new swath of Americans. And here's how. You may recall last week I reported to you several days ahead of the establishment media. I'll sip some water. Thank you. I reported several days ahead of any media I know of Uh, that great sources or brilliant prognostication you choose either way. You get it first, you win. I reported uh, that the federal government is right now, today, hiring private contractors to provide thousands of buses, thousands of buses to continually ship tens of thousands and what I'm sure will soon be over into the hundreds of thousands of criminalians every month from the border, tens of thousands per month at least, from the border to, wait for it, perhaps 100 communities up north, especially the East Coast, end quote. Aside from making us want to vomit on the spot, the bottom line is straightforward, even For Americans who could, until now, afford to soft-pedal or postpone their opinions on criminalians and the remedy for them, the wall, well, the next several months will become nut-cutting time 
because the notion of a problem far away down there in Texas is for as many as 100 million registered American voters going to become, again, a clear and present danger to themselves, their children, their communities. As the buses roll up unannounced and disgorge hundreds of thousands of criminalians all over the country, coast to coast, north to south, boom. The buses will depart, but their illegal sick cargo remains forever, which is more than our fellow citizens will soon be able to say about their wrecked schools. Get ready to have your child, your child, Attend a school in which maybe one out of four pupils speak no English. Many cases, much more than that. As teachers put the brakes on the pace of learning to accommodate the invaders, your kids will end up graduating with a fifth grade education. You get, you get my math there? I started arguing this in the late 70s. You put kids, you, if you put kids who don't speak English, or let's universalize this. If you put kids who don't speak the native language into any classroom, you can do one of two things. You can utterly ignore them, which is the policy I would endorse. You can utterly ignore them and continue to teach at a pace that befits your, your native-speaking students. You teach as much as you can in the first grade, second grade, seventh grade. You teach as much as you can, as quickly as you can, to the people who get it. Or you slam the brakes on the rate of teaching so that the non-English, in this case, kids can stay up, which they don't and can't and never will. So at the end of the first grade, if the teacher decides to accommodate all children, including non-English speaking children, that classroom will learn 40% in the first grade of what it ought to have learned. And then that will continue into the second grade. And by the time your kids finish the eighth grade, they'll probably have a fifth grade education. Unless, of course, you do what many American parents uh, did because there's really no choice. Uh, We had to do this, and that is move from a place we absolutely loved. I lived in paradise out at the ocean, Uh, paradise, in Sag Harbor, New York, one of the oldest, the second oldest whaling village in North America. Just a beautiful, beautiful place. And we loved, loved it in every respect. Except only a few people, including your host, realized that shipping in all of the Spanish-speaking illegals into the Hamptons to cut the grass, mix the martini, make the bed, dust the table, fill the pool, clean the pool, build the tennis court, service the tennis court, etc., etc., bringing in all of these people They didn't disappear at sunset. They had to go somewhere. As my dear friend and hero, Kurt Vonnegut, once said, the uh, earth was ruled by, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, the earth was ruled by 
uh, an unusual and sometimes inconvenient law of gravity, which in essence said everybody had to stick somewhere. And sometimes people stuck to places owned by somebody else and they had to unstick and move somewhere else. Well, all the Hispanic illegals out in the Hamptons had to stick somewhere And as it turns out, and as only a few of us realized, in just a few years, they would have hordes of children. They would right away have hordes of selves that would jam the hospitals. Uh, I was T-boned by an illegal alien with no driver's license in my new Land Rover. And the police said, we're really sorry. There's nothing we can do. Uh, Hordes of themselves at the welfare office, eventually the voting booth, uh, the hospitals, the schools, and then their children. So their children needed schooling. And of course that meant my kids would be in a school uh, in the classrooms in which half of the kids spoke no English. So we had to do some heart-wrenching things to remedy that. Why should we have to do that? Why should I, an American citizen, why should I, a like ninth generation American citizen, have to do that for someone who broke and entered into my country, whose first act in America was to give me the finger, give you the finger, give Thomas Jefferson the finger, give the Constitution of the United States of America the finger, and say, I don't think Americans ought to decide the conditions under which uh, people come across into their house. I think maybe the, the criminals, me, should decide who gets to do that and gives us the finger and comes anyway. And the end product, I have to take my little girl out of school. I have to move from a place I love to get to a private school. Your kids, your kids will graduate with a fifth grade education and your kids will be exposed to diseases. You see all these measles outbreaks around the United States and other diseases that we thought we had conquered. Guess where those are coming from? When you watch or read the news, ordinarily journalism would require that they say, Scientists and doctors believe that these outbreaks may be attributable to. It's not a it's not a story in journalism unless you have that component. Well, you don't have that component for political reasons, for Stalinist reasons. You spike that part of the story because if you told the truth, you'd have to say hordes of illegal immigrants who are poor and sick, and they almost all of them are. Your kids and you will be exposed to disease and in schools, in schools, violence that you never bargained for, that you never imagined would ever be in your life or your children's life and that you cannot tolerate. And boom, it changes your lives. Then there is, as I mentioned, the local and regional hospitals, the emergency rooms, the emergency medicine and treatment, which are about to go from busy to literally chaotic. If you've ever waited in an emergency room worried half to death, as I know you have, about the condition of someone you love, I certainly have, including you, 
that for millions of Americans, that for millions of Americans is about to become the good old days. It is a fact that in many American towns, ERs have become campsites for homeless illegals. Campsites. Your town. This scenario is poised to drop on cities and towns, coast to coast, formally immune from this scourge. Not anymore. The wheels on the bus go round and round, perpetually. Buses feeding in a circuit loop from Texas to your town. Hundreds of thousands by the end of the year. When not setting up refugee camps in your town, your new neighbors will be on the streets of your community and not for the exercise. Though it may be a vigorous walk to the welfare office, well, they will flock to drain your budget. And finally, marvelously, if your first language is Espanol, the visit to the voting booth. And that's when everything ends. Olay! Me. The actual point is, this is a disaster in the making today. Have you yet to see the Fox coverage? I don't believe anyone else has shown it. Fox captured a field of, I don't know, a thousand buses, and they're rolling out, out from the border up north. The first wave of actual buses departing for the north. Hey, look, a caravan. And all of this is going to reach critical mass between now and next election. For all the folks who support President Trump on immigration now, Just wait until this wave of invading illegals becomes evident in most of America. And Democrats support all of this. The Democrat nominee will have to run on it, defend it, make a case why this collapse of the American dream is good for us. That is immigration. We can and ought to win on that alone. But this issue is hardly wanting for company. Abortion is standing alongside a rather good fit, pardon me, as issues go. You don't need me to tell you about abortion because Americans earnestly hold about 350 million different opinions on this profound matter. You get me? Nobody is likely to change his or her mind. Some will, but certainly not many. It is a righteously difficult issue to pin down politically. You do not fight. Here you do not fight to persuade, but rather strive to find common ground. That is to say, it would appear a majority of voters across the board are to some degree pro-choice in principle. They they don't call themselves pro-choice. They don't like thinking of themselves as pro-choice, but... They are, they can't resist the argument that a woman ought to be able to control her own body to a reasonable point. But they are not pro choice, absolutely. There are a substantial group of voters, millions, who, while marginally pro choice, like, you know, behaviorally, marginally pro choice to an extent, are prepared to support some reasonable restrictions, as they are called. Restrictions against things like late-term abortion, i.e., 
killing babies in a couple of weeks prior to their birth. Or, it goes without saying, killing babies after they are born, as is now widely practiced but little reported. We have a name for that in law. First-degree murder. Murder in the first degree. All national Democrats support this. All national Democrats support the most gruesome form of abortion, murder, after the baby is born. All national Democrats, name one, name as many as you can, try to find me an exception. And whomever is the 2020 Democrat nominee will be for the murder of babies, infanticide. Along with a substantial plurality of American voters, killing babies at the last moment or same day is seen as what it is in life and law, first-degree murder. So while President Trump holds a somewhat pro-life position, he also vigorously supports exceptions, including the health of the mother. Politically, this is a fortunate position that will attract solid support. The Democrats, every single Dem you can name, every single Democrat I can name, including every one of the 23 current Democrat presidential candidates, and including the eventual Democrat nominee, are absolutely, unexceptionally, fully pro-choice, period including the murder of babies torn from the womb. I apologize for the language. That's what it is. Every Democrat you can name and I can name, every national Democrat, the Democrat Party, the Democrat policy, the Democrat candidates, the Democrat nominee for president when that is eventually determined, are for the murder of babies torn from the womb. Good luck with that. As for Iran, respect of war, historically and appropriately, nothing gets our attention nearly as much as going to war. Well, that is, except when it isn't over in a few weeks and we win. Otherwise, uh, many Americans drop it in favor of Green Acres reruns. But Iran might by 2020 be utterly forgotten, a tiny pimple on America's ass, But the other option is war, which will make it, ipso facto, perhaps the only issue. Because war with Iran is no different. But it is very different if you follow me. Iraq couldn't touch America, nor can Afghanistan. Uh, 17 years, 17 years and counting. Iraq and Iran couldn't touch us, but Iran, our nation was in 2001, paralyzed and forever changed by 19 terrorists with no weapons. Iran are terrorists too, but there are millions of these terrorists and they've got guns. They have armies of hundreds of thousands of fanatical uh, Wahhabi Muslims and they've got guns, meaning a Navy, missiles, Short a ship, 
ship to ship, and we believe at least a few available nukes. Unless and until we kill them all, they can control a lot of stuff. You know, and and over there, they're not, you know, this is not like attacking, you know, unarmed people or, or backwards people. Of course, they are backwards to an extent, but... You know, they've got entire, an entire country behind them, not to mention Russia, China, North Korea, all of which ship them stuff, maybe including nukes. So unless and until we kill them all, which if they were going to hurt us is fine with me, if it's necessary, only if it's necessary. They controlled the Strait of Hormuz, a very key naval and geopolitical spot. What we have is an entire carrier as a nuclear aircraft carrier with approximately 75 fighter jets, we have an entire cargo, uh, sorry, entire carrier group with several other ships in the Gulf on war footing, very close nearby. The prospects of a faux incident by either side, a provocation, a mistake, a Gulf of Tonkin hoax, the prospect of a spark that explodes into war immediately. American deaths are very and frighteningly real. Can you imagine if they sunk one of our ships? All of this bluster aimed at Iran seems to me, I'm sorry to say, nakedly manufactured by us. I mean, sorry, but what would authentically require America to attack Iran? If they do not and cannot attack American soil, if they do not attack American ships. And that's what I worry about. Because if we do something to put one of our ships in such close quarters with the Iranians that we steam toward them all of a sudden and they're absolutely persuaded for pretty good reasons that they're about to be attacked, it just takes one guy to get an itchy trigger finger and launch one missile that damages or God forbid sinks an American naval vessel. What, what American life, other than that, though, what American life does Iran threaten? If Iran attacks an oil well or an airport or slaughters a group of people over there that aren't Americans, that's a pity. But it doesn't call for the life of our sons, does it? We can begin here to see the outlines of an issue and a series of events that might very plausibly launch us into a war that could immediately cost American lives. War could potentially subsume all domestic issues, i.e. the Trump agenda, the winning issues of President Trump, rendering them nearly irrelevant in an election. We can see, too, the potential of Iran, even if war does not come, becoming a loud debate that polarizes our citizenry, I'm for war, I'm for peace. That would really like, that would muddy the water. In failing to see the why of war with Iran, I admit I also fail to see the how, as in how an Iran war could possibly play to President Trump's advantage or ours as citizens. Iran still doesn't top the polls of what most concerns Americans, but I tell you, it's moving up fast. It's concurrent with the coverage 
if if you know if if, if it gets na- national coverage two nights in a week, it jumps up four points in the polls. A domestic issues campaign, Trump wins. A war campaign, which historically gives Democrats a real chance. Next, the polls and the players. Thank you for being here. Please do follow me on Twitter, at GiantPodPundit, where you'll often find me. I'm Jay Severin, Excelsior.